So just to get started, if you don't mind introducing yourself and introducing the group that, that you're a part of. Certainly. Uh, my name is Sean Whitaker. I am a member of the Marxist group of Namibia. We have been in existence since 2011, you know, and we um, see ourselves as uh, a left-wing group in Namibia. We certainly have many important responsibilities because Namibia was colonized for more than a century. And Marxism, of course, was banned. And, and you know, so we are an openly Marxist group, firstly, you know, for that reason, because Marxism was banned for so long. Uh, and secondly, because of, you know, the dominance of Christianity in this country, we have a very low level of political consciousness. For us, it's very important to, you know, to promote a left-wing agenda and to, to address some of the important issues. Um, previously, when I lived in Cape Town, I was um, a central committee member of a group called the Workers' Organization for Socialist Action. And in the 1994 democratic elections in South Africa, we participated, we participated in the 1994 democratic elections under the banner of a group called the Workers' List Party. Uh, we joined with other comrades, left-wing comrades, and formed the Workers' List Party. But like I said, I am with a Marxist group of Namibia at the moment. Incidentally, while we are talking about Warsaw, the group in, in South Africa, we have strong fraternal relationships with a group in the U.S. called Socialist Action. And they still exist. They still have the headquarters in San Francisco. Um, so, you know, so we do have links with, with groups in other parts of the world. But like I said, I've been with the Marxist group of Namibia. And certainly for us, our long-term vision to help to uh, start a, a, a mass workers' party uh, that would bring the whole left wing, the whole working class, the radical middle class together, and to try to take the anti capitalist struggle forward. There are obviously important lessons for us to learn from the Soviet Union, the, the, the Communist Party that existed there. There are important lessons to learn from the Brazilian Workers' Party, you know, certainly the, you know, so we would like to form a mass workers' party eventually that would bring everyone in the left wing together. And of course, the, the important thing about a mass workers' party like that is to have internal democracy, that you allow for the right to internal debate, the right to factions, and so on. I think that is something that we certainly like our comrades in the U.S. to consider as well that, you know, to bring all the, the left-wing groups together under one big group and allow for internal democracy to discuss all the important issues that will always be there. But if you don't have that, if you see that with what happened in the Soviet Union, if you don't have internal democracy,
is within a mass organization will eventually collapse, you know, because it simply cannot deal with new situations and circumstances. And, and, and once again, we certainly would like to encourage our comrades in the US, certainly you as well in, in the US at this stage, the social democratic system is dead and gone. You are now also dealing with you know, all the crises created, neoliberal capitalism, massive youth unemployment, uh, homelessness, hunger, you know, a massive medical costs, of course. So, so, so you are now dealing with all the same kind of issues that we in the global south are dealing with. And so it's important, you know, with, with clearly as you can see in the Ukraine, everywhere there's a strong neo-Nazi movement, the truckers movement in Canada, the truckers movement in the US as well. There's clearly a strong neo-Nazi movement uh, awakening. And if we on the left cannot organize, uh, you know, we will certainly, at the end of the day, you know, what, with what happened in Germany with the Nazis, uh, they, you know, the Nazis and Hitler targeted the Bolsheviks first, you know, we must always remember that. And, 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 and the main reason is that for, for Hitler to invade the Soviet Union was to destroy Bolshevism. And, and so, you know, with fascism, you must understand that you know, the left will always be the first target. And if we are not well organized, you know, we will be the first one in the jails uh, and, and targeted for, you know, for assassination. Absolutely. And um, if you don't mind going a little bit more into Namibia's unique uh, post-independence conditions. And we, you know, in your uh, previous message, you talked a little bit about about SWAPO as the ruling party, but if you don't mind talking more about your your position on SWAPO and how a mass workers party would be desperately needed in, in Namibia today. Look, we've had, you know, more than three decades of neo-colonialism, of, you know, SWAPO being in power. Um, but of course, at this point, that neo-colonial project has reached a dead end. We have about half of the Namibian population living in informal settlements. We have something like a 60% unemployment rate amongst young people in this country. You know, so clearly when Swapo came to power, they came into power from a position of weakness. You know, despite their propaganda, uh, you know, Swapo did not shoot one bullet at Tutu Kunabao. You know, the initial idea, of course, for American imperialism was to, you know, divide Angola into two sections, the southern Angola and the northern Angola. And that couldn't happen, you know, the, the second option is to create an independent Namibia, uh, but, you know, under a neoliberal constitution, which meant, you know, privatization, increasing privatization, you know, cutting the public sector, deregulation of the financial sector. So obviously these neoliberal conditions worsen the conditions for the working people of the Middle uh, At that point, of course, the left wing, when, when independence came, when you know, the neo-colonial project started, uh, the left wing in the Middle was extremely weak uh, for two main reasons. 
okay, the one was that obviously with colonialism, like I said, Marxism was banned, left-wing people were, 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 were more seriously uh, uh, harassed and treated and assassinated and thrown in prison. I mean, the, the ruling class has always had that kind of different approach. You know, come down hard on the left-wing, and of course, that's been a different approach for the moderates. So obviously, when, when uh, political independence happened to Northwest, the left wing was already small and very weak. The second main reason was that in exile, of course, Swapok, you know, committed war crimes. They had camps in Zambia and in Gola, and they mainly targeted your radical youth. So a minimum of 3,000 Namibian youth died in the Swapok camps. Okay, so we had somebody start a very weak left wing. And so obviously, you know, these right wing economic policies dominated and still dominant today. And of course, the socioeconomic conditions for the working people of Namibia only got worse. So at this point, whether, you know, after more than three decades, the, the neo-colonial project, of course, has come to an end. Basically, people are disillusioned, people can now see there has been no progress in their lives. On the contrary, I think things have only disintegrated because of this neoliberal approach. And of course, with the exposure of the massive corruption in the fishing industry, where at the moment we have two former government ministers, Swapo government ministers in prison, who's the Minister of Justice and the Minister of Fisheries. You know, the former ministers are presently in prison in Namibia because of the massive corruption in the fishing industry that was exposed by the international media, by Al Jazeera in particular. You know, and this, of course, is completely discredited as well. You know, and you see that with the last national election, there was a, a significant decline in the political support. And of course, for the next national elections in 2024, can be sure that the political support of Swapo would decline even more. So at this point, we are in a, a very difficult situation in that you know, the ruling party, Swapo, has lost political credibility, you know, there's massive corruption, the war crimes and committed in exile, they've really lost political credibility. But at the same time, of course, we don't have a strong and an effective left-wing group at the moment. We have lots of center-right parties, you know, same kind of politics as Swapo. Most of them, in fact, you know, formed by former Swapo members. So you see that crisis of the left-wing very clearly in the movie as well. But Swapo is a political party, of course, has no future anymore. You know, I, in fact, I think the way that they would want to survive would be to form a coalition government in 2024. And of course, behind the scenes, they are already talking to some of the other center-right parties in the country. And in that way, they might, of course, continue to exist. But, but that is also why it is so necessary to form a left-wing group, a strong left-wing group, as soon as possible. Uh, but, but Swapo as a project, you know, is clearly in trouble. And I, I doubt very much, you know, if they will get the majority vote in the next national election.
Yeah, so I, I see definitely the the need, as you're saying, for an alternative party in Namibia to contest Swapo. But if you if you also can talk about how, and you mentioned Quido Conaval, so how the role of uh, American and also South African imperialism in Namibia plays a role in the legacy of that, plays a role in maintaining this uh, kind of, I guess, like a nationalist party within power and uh, and how that legacy as well shapes Namibian politics, the history of imperialism. Absolutely. Uh, look, I mean, we, we have to realize that, you know, uh, big businesses in Namibia are still by and large, you know, South African. You know, we have a massive capital outflow. And of course, it basically goes to Johannesburg, uh, you know, and, and so yes. So South Africa, you know, Pretoria is still the sub-imperialist power in Southern Africa. And all these, like I said, all these businesses, big businesses in particular, is still owned by the former colonizers. Okay. Uh, for that reason, of course, we had a very limited uh, you know, decolonization in the world. Uh, because the economic situation clearly, I mean, you know, the wealth still goes to the Johannesburg Stock Exchange, to the New York Stock Exchange, and so on. So, so yes, yeah, so, so in, in so many ways, it's been paper no real material change in the, in the, in the conditions on the ground. And of course, you know, many of us in the left will say, yes, we must get reparations from Germany you know, for the genocide that happened in 1904, in the 1904-1908, but we must also demand reparations from Victoria uh, because obviously, uh, you know, the colonizers from South Africa took over in 1915, and of course, they have also stolen so much of the wealth of the world. They have continued to control so much of the that conversation still needs to happen as well. Uh, clearly, you know, South African people, they need to at some point be held accountable for, for what has happened here. Um, and of course, I mean, you know, American big business has been, you know, involved in Namibia for a long time. Uh, go back to the history of Walfish Bay, for example, the whaling industry has always been controlled by American business, uh, for example. And of course, today, clearly, uh, the American government is constructing a huge embassy in Bentuk at this time. And so you have to ask yourself, why? What is that all about? You know, and of course, it shows you the tremendous American interest in Namibia. And there are many important reasons for that. Firstly, of course, Namibia has a large amount of uranium. Okay? And of course, the uranium mines at this point are owned by China. And so that's one of the reasons why you have such a strong American presence in Namibia. It, it, it's part of that, you know, it's not part of the, 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 the global conflict between the big powers, you know, the US, China, Russia, as, as you see what is playing out in, in Ukraine. You know, and of course, it 
some point the Chinese were interested in having a naval base in the Middle East. Uh, of course, the idea didn't go very far, but you can be sure what happened behind the scenes appeared. Uh, you know, American ruling class would not be happy with something like this. But, but once again, the, one of the main issues is that Turkey has a very large amount of uranium that can get this uranium to China. And so, so in terms of geopolitics, of course, the American ruling class is very interested in Turkey and does, you know, have a strong presence in Europe. Uh, in terms of Kyoto Kunabali, Kyoto Kunabali is an important issue for me. Firstly, you know, it was about Angola, it was about, it was, it was a proxy war, so like, like you should say, it's a proxy war between, on the one hand, you know, the apartheid regime, uh, Western imperialism, on the other hand, of course, the Angolan government, and the Soviet Union, and it was a proxy war in so many ways, but you know, the, the apartheid regime was not militarily defeated at Kyoto Kunabali. That is why you know, they had this very limited decolonization in the market. Even if you look at what happened in post apartheid South Africa, you know, the, the black South Africans by and large, you know, are still impoverished and, and you know, they, they certainly has not been a significant improvement in the socioeconomic. Uh, and, and yes, of course, Kyoto Kunabal was a psychological defeat of the apartheid army, but it was not a military defeat. And that is why you know you see this kind of situation in the Namibia and in post-apartheid South Africa. Of course, Namibia is a very rich country. You know, there's lots of uh, diamonds, for example. You know, slightly uranium, there's diamonds. Uh, there, there's all kinds of, there's lots of zinc, there's lots of copper, there's lots of fish. Uh, Namibia is an extremely rich country. We only have two and a half million people, but the vast majority, of course, live in tremendous poverty. Because like in the global south, you know, most of the wealth eventually leaves the country and goes to the global north, basically, in the ruling class. And do you mind talking more about, in particular, the role of, I'm very fascinated with that role of being in the global south and how that changes some of the demands of the of your group in particular and how Marxism can evolve when positioned in the global south and having to deal with, you know, neocolonialism, extraction, and continued uh, imperialism and colonialism. So how does that evolve your theoretical basis? Yeah, it's an important question. Um, look, for us, the main issue is mass unemployment. Uh, that's our biggest challenge. You know, you cannot build a socialist society if you don't have an answer for it. Uh, you know, the, the agenda of big business is about profit making. You know? So big business is not interested in overcoming unemployment. In fact, mass unemployment is good for them because then they can drive wages down. So, so, so for big business, it's only interested in profit maximization. Uh, so for us, of course, as a socialist group, it, for us, the issue is maximization of social welfare. And surely you have to start with full employment. You know, but the only way to do 
do that is to take away the political power of the solution uh, and give power to the workers. It's, a, it's about political power. Anyway, so our main position is the right to work. I know in the UN, the whole thing about the right to work is a, is a right-wing demand, you know, because it depends on the context and how you understand the right to work. But for us, as a left-wing, our main demand is the right to work, which means full employment. And, and the question is, how do you capture full employment? I for us, the global south, it means setting up cooperatives. You know, Certainly, we learn from Argentina. We have comrades in Argentina that we have close links with. And we follow their movements around cooperatives very, very closely. Uh, of course, they have the advantage in that Argentina had an industrial base that we don't have to mobilize. So, we, in some ways, uh, we are starting from scratch. Also, of course, because of our economic dependence on Pretoria. You know, but, but for us, certainly as a Marxist group, the question of setting up cooperatives is very important in terms of overcoming the network. Uh, that we have to, you know, explain to working people that they need to be self-reliant, they need to set up their own support structures, and that means setting up cooperatives, you know, in, in for food production, for example. Basically, basic consumer goods, if possible, set up our own trade network, you know, with working classes in South Africa or Angola or wherever, you know. So for us, you know, the setting up co of cooperatives, also for the housing question, is very, very important. But, but yeah, as a way of overcoming this unemployment and, of course, to be as independent as possible from the capital state. Capital state, the state has its own priorities, you know, profit maximization for the living of course, for us, it's about working class, it's about working people. So, so, so definitely setting up cooperatives, the whole idea of job sharing, which comes from the French the left, I think it's an important idea. Uh, Andre Gord, you know, the, the, the French the Marxist has written interesting stuff around job sharing. Um, so, so the right to work. Addressing the question of less unemployment, especially unemployment among young people, is the most important issue for us. Well, there are unimportant issues. You know, the right to housing. As you know, with neoliberalism, housing is seen as a commodity. You know, it's, it's all about profit. So, like I said, in Namibia, we, we, we call it the Sheikh country because half of the population, of course, lives in Sheikh uh, and, and for such a mineral rich country, that would make any sense. But it's because the top 1% is all the way You know, so for us, if you think about in the Soviet Union, you know, people only spend, they were, you know, an attempt to create full employment, and people only spend 6% of their monthly income on housing. And that's what we should start to do. That we keep it at the lowest possible. So for us, the right to housing is very important. If you look at, at, at Uruguay, and if you look at that, you know, we, we, we try to you know, learn, especially from our Latin American comrades. You know, so in, in Uruguay, they set up housing cooperatives uh, as a way to try to address housing question. They even have the right to housing in their constitution. I think that's an important issue. 
was a leftist and critical of Chile. There's a, a rewrote to the, the neoliberal uh, constitution. Uh, so, so, so that is an important struggle for the leftist, the right to housing. You know, that people deserve to live in decent houses, uh, that, you know, you don't, it should not be about property. Uh, and of course, I mean, there's many other issues. The question of food sovereignty is another important issue because this, you know, the, the companies control the food chain. The food prices are only going up. People are starving. People are malnourished. So food sovereignty is a very crucial issue for us. We certainly believe, you know, that in small-scale farming, I think the whole idea of collective farming is a mistake. We believe that small-scale farming is the most effective and that we should allow private enterprises in farming. You know, we reading Oscar Mann. I don't know if you know the writings of Oscar Mann. He was a, a Polish, uh, a Polish economist. I think he, he was one of the advisors of Roosevelt after the 1929 uh, Great Depression. And he put some brilliant pamphlets on, on socialism. On the economic theory of socialism. And we agree with Oscar Lenin. If you look at the failure of the Soviet Union, Oscar Lenin was correct in saying that your farming sector and your small business sector should be made in the private enterprises. Yes, you should nationalize big business under the democratic management of the working class, you know, because. Because the dominance of big business leads to the stifling of innovation, the stifling of small business. You know, so so for us, that's the, the main issue in terms of the difference between a capitalist society and a social society, is that big business must be nationalized, it must be under the democratic control of the working class. It, it should not be about profit maximization for the one percent. You know, it should be about the needs of everyone in the society. You know, but but farming certainly should remain in private enterprise because you need people, you know, to be innovative, you need them to be productive. That's the other important lesson was from the Soviet Union. You know, they eventually had a problem with productivity. But you need to find ways of you know uh, rewarding workers, motivating workers. Oscar Lang said, for example, that you need to find ways, you must have as far as possible equality of income, you know, but it's relative. And, and, and obviously, we have different professions, and so it's a relative equality of income, but you need to find ways of motivating working class. Let's say, for example, if you're a productive worker, it, you know, you get more holidays or whatever the case might be. So, so there are important issues. That the left wing should be debating, but 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 yeah, okay. But come back to the point food production, food sovereignty is another very important issue for the left wing. Um, the ecological crisis, I mean, look, Namibia is an extremely arid and extremely hot country. Um, so, we, you know, we in Africa, of course, we are the victims of the ecological crisis. You know, this crisis is created by the rich countries, the global north. But we, of course, we, we, we feel, you know, the, the effects here. We are, for the moment, certainly the main victims. Our climate, I can tell you, the climate in Namibia has changed so much. 
We've had, for example, over the last month, so much rain because we have all these cyclones coming from East Africa. If you look at the research, of course, you know, the, the sea in East Africa is warming up the fastest. So that explains where these cyclones are coming from. And of course, those cyclones come and end here in winter. And so we get so much rain over the past month, but it's because of the climate breakdown. Um, so yeah, so, so in Namibia, you, you cannot survive without some cooling system in the house. Uh, the city of Walfish Bay is a low-lying city, so as the sea levels rise, Walfish Bay will be one of the first cities in the world to be submerged, you know. So in terms of long-term thinking, definitely you need to set up sea walls, dikes, to protect these low-lying cities. So instead of being crazy about profit all the time, we should be thinking about how do we counteract you know, the ecological disaster? What are the things that we need to do? We need to, of course, you know, that when we say about extractivism, it's an important debate, but we must understand that we still need certain minerals to continue with, with you know, sustainable society. We need zinc, we need copper, there's certain things that we would need you know, for alternative energy. But others we need to stop. We need to stop, the, you know, for us, the, the, the production of uranium, for example. Um, you know, who's going to pay, you know, for the years of tension of this mine? Those mines will be, you know, radioactive for a thousand years and so forth. So, so I think there are very important issues in terms of the ecological disaster that, that we do need to look at. We obviously need to. Um, you know, the production of private cars. Uh, at some point, we definitely need to ban, you know, private vehicles on the road, and especially in the global north. Uh, we need a free and effective public transport system and so forth. Uh, you know, there are important issues in terms of the climate breakdown that we should be looking. Obviously, we, you know, phase out as quickly as possible use of fossil fuels and so on. So, uh, I mean, you know, the Ukrainian war is, is once again, you know, it's about oil and gas, the war, first and foremost. Um, so, so, of course, so the ecological issue is a very important issue for the left wing, and definitely for us in the movie. It's one of the issues that we have to continue to speak about and raise, you know, raise consciousness around. Because there's others, I mean, there's the gender question, the patriarchy, you know, in the movie, Still have a very strong patriarchal system, uh, you know, the, the violence against women and children, uh, you know, the violence against gay, lesbian, LGBTQ plus uh, community. Fortunately, is now well organized in Namibia. Uh, we have a strong young feminist movement in Namibia, you know, so yes, so, so we are encouraged. I mean, that's for us, it's certainly one of the encouraging issues in the middle. It looks like they are finally going to win the demand for their right to reproductive rights uh, and so on. So, so yes, of course, that's a massive issue for us as well. So, so there are some, you know, some, some advances. Uh, definitely see, especially amongst young women, there, there's a very progressive movement in this country. It gives us a lot of hope for the future. Although, of course, you know, we must say, <laughs> us older left-wing uh, activists, 
about the level of intergenerational transfer of consciousness of organizational structures, but we continue to work at it. We would like to see a much stronger new generation of young activists who can take this destiny's power forward. I, I absolutely agree. And I think everything you had to say about the struggle in Namibia and, and across the global South is very, very relevant and, and worth consideration for those of us who, who are in the global North. Um, I do have to go, but I would just say thank you so much for taking the time to do another uh, you know, round of questions and, and to hear more about the unique situations in Namibia, but also how they relate to struggles across the global South. So thank you so much and continue the incredible work, uh, continue discussion and debate um, on Marxism in Namibia and spreading you know, the theory and, and, and also the praxis as you're saying into Namibia. So thanks so much and, and take care. Well, thank you yeah. for asking me all the best with your good work there. And yes, we can stay in touch. If there's anything else, let me know. We can certainly continue with the conversation. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much. Take care. All the best. Go well. Bye Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.